Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to Ausbiz Live from our Brangaroo studios. You have tuned in to the call. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. It's fast and furious and very informative. And today's panel really delivers all of that in spades. David Lane from Audmitted in Brisbane. David, how are you, sir? Good to see you. I'm very well, thank you. And Daniel Ortiz of Lincoln Indicators Stock Doctor. Uh, Daniel, always great to have you on the panel. A lot to get through today. Uh, Let's get cracking. Uh, In the first half hour, the five stocks we're going to have a look at is Gentrack, Silt Logistics, uh, Beach Energy, Patriot Battery Metals, Cobram Estate Olives. Uh, Stock of the day, uh, pretty obvious one, uh, Sigma Healthcare, certainly been in the news as it merges with Chemist Warehouse to create a near $9 billion health giant. Under the deal, Chemist Warehouse will own 85.8% of the merged company post-completion, with the proposed merger creating cost synergies initially estimated at about $60 million per annum, expected to be realised four years post-completion. Sigma will undertake an entitlement offer to raise about 400 mil to provide the working capital required to implement a supply contract with Chemist Warehouse starting 1st of July 2024. Sigma's board unanimously recommends shareholders vote in favour of the deal. David Lane, what do you reckon about the deal? And um, should shareholders follow the advice of directors? Well, yeah, it's certainly been uh, long touted in the in the press, and and Sigma shares late last week were put in, into suspension, and then the details announced this morning. So, uh, yes, it's it's definitely a transformational change for Sigma uh, to become one of the, the largest retailers as far as uh, chemist or pharmacy is concerned in the country. Uh, it's one of those deals that is probably um, meaning that most investment bankers around Australia are are very disappointed because it's uh, Chemist Warehouse has been potentially one of the the big IPOs to come to the market over the last three or four years. But effectively what this deal does is it does a a backdoor listing of Chemist Warehouse onto the ASX via Sigma. Uh, So yeah, transformational as far as the business is concerned. To answer your question, yes, I think that shareholders should uh, accept the the entitlement offer. When they closed, the Sigma shares were trading at 76 cents. Uh, We had a whole recommendation on the the company itself, but obviously through this merger, it it totally changes the outlook for the business. Uh, The entitlement offer will be at 70 cents a share. Uh, so existing shareholders of Sigma will have the ability to, to buy those new shares at 70 cents, so a little bit of a discount to where they're currently trading. Uh, and at the moment, they're currently undertaking a, an institutional placement, so the shares will remain in suspension until Wednesday this week. And then retail investors will have the ability to to uh, you know, take advantage of not only that entitlement offer, but then potentially to look at the, the company as you know, the, the new um, merged entity uh, comes to fruition. Okay, so, all right, so if you're, you're saying existing shareholders obviously hold, accept the merger deal. If you're not a Sigma shareholder, do you buy in? Is it, is it a buy? As a result of this, well, I I think it would be yes. Um, as I say, our, our the analysts have got a hold recommendation on it. They'll be doing an analysis over the next couple of days. But yeah, I think that Chemist Warehouse, it's a very very good business. It's been leading the the industry for a long period of time. They've got six hundred stores around the country. Sigma as a 
uh, wholesaler and distributor of, of the uh, pharmaceuticals gives them that synergy, as you said, about $60 million initially their forecast. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a very interesting business. It's uh, an area that, that we haven't really been able to invest in as, as retail investors previously, because most pharmacies uh, are privately owned. Uh, so this will really be the first opportunity to invest in, in a major pharmacy retailer. Uh, and not only are they in Australia, but they're also global as well. They've, they've uh, expanded their concept of, uh, in other countries around the world. So yeah, I think it's a pretty exciting deal. And, and I'd be looking at uh, potentially picking up the, the shares depending upon what price they, they relist at. Okay. Uh, Daniel, what do you think um, uh, the Pharmacy Guild has had a bit to say about it, sort of arguably Australia's most powerful lobby group, um, saying, will this will this now skew pharmacies from community-based, uh, so-called community-based pharmacies, through to big chains? They've fought Woolworths for years, haven't they? Um, uh, any attempt for Woolworths to get into the into that chemist space? Yeah, right, Koshi. And I think there will be a lot to be said there. And we know that the that the Pharmacy Guild has been very active on multiple fronts. And there's even talks, um, not sure how far down the track this is, but Chemist Warehouse are, are probably going to even be competing more so in that um, that hospital space, the contracted hospital space with the, with no. providers like Slade and such uh, as well. So, yeah, they're going to be competing on all fronts here. So there's a lot of questions in regards to, to how that works on a, on a competition and, uh, and a regulatory uh, front. My question would be, and, and the key question here is, Koshi, like you mentioned, well, if you're not in the stock, is it a buy, you know, is it a potential sell? What do you do? Um, my answer to that is that there's still probably a lot of work that needs to go into understanding what the entity will look like going forward. So, you know, just a quick metrics, I think, um, you know, it's going to be approaching around a $9 billion market cap. I'm not too sure, haven't had an, uh, enough work done on the debt side and what the enterprise value will be. We know the earnings of Chemist Warehouse were around 350 odd million. So, you know, just saying very, very rough calculations, you know, you're going to be paying a, a pretty high multiple for this business. So a, a lot of work will need to come down to analysing that, whether it's a buy from there. But absolutely, if you're in the stock, you know, you'd probably be subscribing for your rights there um, as part of the race. So, you know, we all know that Chemist Warehouse is dominant. It's a great company. It makes most of its profits from the retailing side. So there's not much money at all in dispensing pharmaceutical products, uh, but they do an excellent job. And what they do better than anyone else in the space is managing that retail storefront. So, yeah. you know, when, when I think about Chemist Warehouse, it kind of reminds me of the comments that I believe Nathan makes about LaVisa, where everyone knows it's a fantastic business, um, but I think he speaks about his daughter having worked there and the difference between working there and perhaps <laughs> being an investor there. So I, I kind of get similar sentiments yeah. with Chemist Warehouse as well. So you know, I'm not sure if exactly if you, if you want to work for one, but um, in terms of being a business, no, it's, it's an excellent company, but we just need to understand the deal terms and, and what right. the business will look like going forward a bit deeper. Okay, so uh, put you down as a hold at the moment until more details come out on how it all washes through. Yeah, I definitely agree with the the fact that you'd subscribe for your rights if you're a holder. Yep. Um, so definitely do that. But um, if you're not in the stock, I'd probably be waiting on the sidelines uh, and just see how it trades when it opens up. Because, you know, like any stock in a hold, it can open down, it can open up. I suspect there'll be a lot of demand for this deal and index inclusion, et cetera. So, you yeah. know, I'd probably just be waiting on the sidelines. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll get into the um, into the ASX 200 as a result of this. And um, yeah. remind me, who owns Priceline? The major competitor did that go to West, West Farmers? Farmers. West Farmers, what was that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I wonder if West Farmers will get a kick up with this as well, um, with the uh, change in valuation on Priceline. All right, uh, let's get into uh, our first stock of the day, and uh, Lucy wants a view, Daniel, on Gentrek. The Gentrek, the it's basically a billing service, isn't it? That outsources to uh, to other companies and and runs runs their billing operation yeah so it, it's primary kind of software uh, applications have been in billing and, and customer relationship management in the utility space and particularly in the UK so 
GenTrack has quietly been probably one of the stories of the year so far uh, on the ASX before um, around basically when COVID hit, they had a serious issue where a lot of their customer base in the UK were suffering from kind of legacy um, issues within the energy market. A lot of them were going bankrupt. So they had huge issues there on the revenue base. Um, they're actually still dealing with that today. The market sold it down from $6 to I believe around 90 cents. And, um, you know, the financials looked like they're in a lot of stress. Now, since then, there's been a significant turnaround. They've you know, released new software, won a lot of customers. Coming out of COVID, they have a, also an airport um, software monitoring system, which you know has had really good growth as well uh, as the airports have come out of COVID and come back online. So they've kind of had, yeah, like you can see on that chart, this huge U-shaped recovery. And when you look at the metrics of FY23, revenue growth, profitability, cash flow, you know, they all looked excellent. So this is a business where perhaps we probably haven't followed it as closely. Um, and it was great that it was asked on the show today because I had to go back and look at what really happened. Uh, and the metrics look astounding. What I will say is that for FY24, we know that some of the new contract growth will be offset by some of those legacy contracts of customers, which are still heading into administration, which is, I think, over about $20 million in revenue. So, you know, that's, that's probably something, you know, I just want to make sure what the growth will actually be for the year ahead, because perhaps now we're starting to see expectations come back into the story. Um, and therefore, will investors be let down by that? Or will they be able to look through it and look at an underlying basis? So from my point of view, it looks like, you know, a, a fantastic recovery story. Um, the metrics looked excellent, um, has a net cash balance sheet. The cash flow looks really good. So it ticks a lot of our boxes at Stock Doctor. But that's just the one question I'll be asking based on that outlook. You know, right. Will the market understand that that loss of revenue or will it be able to digest it? So it's trading on about 60 times revenue, but the quality is there. So I'd be happy to hold, right. but probably wouldn't be convinced of a, of a new buy at this point. Okay. Would you take profits after a good run like this? Yeah, I'd be leaning to taking some profits, but I'm, I'm always just so conservative about the timing of selling, you know, pretty good businesses. Like this is a quality yeah. software stock. The metrics are good, yeah. the margins are good. And we know that all those are, are gonna be improving on an underlying basis. And in this type of market, you never know, you know, it's a small cap. It's, it's. we always look at New Zealand tech, it's New Zealand tech. So if we start to see a lot of positive flows back into the small cap space, like this stock can continue to trade very strongly. So, mm. you know, being a bit more prudent, I'm a bit more on the prudent side. I would be taking profits, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this continue trade strongly. Yeah. Okay, and uh, Lucy, thanks for uh, bringing it to our attention too, because it uh, is an unsung hero, David, isn't it? It's sort of um, flown under the radar, so to speak, even uh, does airport management software as well. Boom, boom. Um, what do you think of GenTrack? <laughs> yeah, it certainly has. It's performed very, very strongly, and, and you mentioned that uh, that airport software. The revenue growth from that part of the business has been twenty one percent over the last twelve months their utilities business, their revenue growth has been about 36%. So they've done very, very well in, in most of the markets that they're, uh, yeah, that they're operating in. As you said, it's a little bit under the radar in that it's not widely covered. Uh, Ords doesn't cover it, so we don't have an official recommendation on it. Um, but given we've seen that share price rise over the last 12, 18 months, I would be looking at taking some profits on it. Uh, as Daniel said, very good quality well, just uh, I think we've, David's frozen there. Um, yeah, we might get uh, David to dial back in and uh, catch up on, on what his thoughts were there on the actual outcome on GenTrack, what you should be doing. Uh, we'll get him back in a tick in the meantime. Daniel, let's move on to our second stock. Catherine wants a view on Silk Logistics. Uh, um, logistics business, sort of a, a port-to-door logistics business, is that? Yeah, and, and when you look at the share price of Silk, it, it probably more reflects what's actually been happening in the small cap land this year. Yeah. Um, clearly, it's a business tied to you know underlying economic drivers, any business in logistic is, um, and the market's kind of seen that, it's digested that and, and it's sold it down based on those concerns. We know that you know the volume um, at ports has, has been a little bit weaker, uh, and there's probably concerns because a lot of these transportation logistics companies have done really well the last few years, but potentially <clears throat> as aggregate demand slows down and the bottlenecks in supply chains 
be released, you know, there might be less profit being made within the logistics supply chain. So th there's valid concerns here. Um, but I would also say if you look at the stock kind of uh, on a valuation basis, it is starting to look very cheap. And, you know, I haven't personally done a lot of work in this company, but one of the analysts in our team has had a pretty good look at it. And he thinks it's actually potentially a little bit undervalued here. Like mm. the, the, the company's actually ran on a pretty lean basis. And a lot of their cost-based, um, you know, they, they don't have too much in terms of asset ownership um, and, and fixed contract employees. So whereas, you know, a typical business which might, you know, own a lot of their assets and have a very sticky cost base and have that operating leverage to the downside, you know, he's, he's kind of saying to me that perhaps that's not as bad as what the market is, is anticipating. So there actually could be, you know, a justification for a bit of a speculative buy here. The balance sheet's okay. They've got a few acquisitions which are still kind of churning through and will add to profitability going forward. And, um, you know, they, they do have a bit of skin in the game for the management team as well. So they're clearly aligned to shareholders. You know, the, the stock does look cheap, but the balance sheet is, is in relatively good nick, which is so important. If the balance mm. sheet was in distress here, you know, I probably wouldn't want to be there because economic slowdown, they might have to, you know, they might have to raise some capital, but that doesn't really seem like the case. So uh, I'm actually going to give it a very small spec buy, um, right. something that we'll probably be watching a bit more closely going forward. Um, and in the meantime, you're getting a pretty decent dividend yield to kind of be patient with the stock and wait for some turnaround in economic activity. Okay. Uh, got David Layden back from uh, Ords. David, you, you froze up there before you got to the juicy yeah, bit on, uh, on Gentrack. Uh, Gentrack. <laughs> Um, what was your conclusion on that? Yeah, on Gentrack, I think I'd be taking profits at current levels. I think that, uh, yeah, good business, uh, but the share price has run very strongly. So I'd be taking some profits on it now. Uh, and maybe look at reinvesting the funds into Silk Logistics, because I think, uh, as Daniel said, that's a high quality business. Um, their share price is, is down at the moment and has been suffering uh, for some time. So, you know, it could well be one of those uh, small cap companies that, that may perform fairly well over the next 12 months and, um, yeah, may well look at a, a speculative buy on, on Silk. Okay. All right. A speculative buy from both on, on uh, Silk there. All right. Uh, third stock, um, David Asher wants a view on Beach Energy, the uh, uh, oil and gas producer across Australia, New Zealand. Um, uh, they're in the Cooper and Eramunga basins in uh, South Australia, um, uh, Northern Territory. Uh, biggest share, shareholder, Seven Group, is it? I, I think still in Beach. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Seven Group, uh, the major shareholder there, uh, as well as Boral and, and a number of other businesses. But uh, yeah, Beach is one of those stocks that has somewhat suffered as a result of the energy sell-off uh, that we've seen across the market. Um, but it is a good quality business. We've got an Accumulate recommendation on it. I think that it's worth probably about $2.50, which is well above where they're currently trading. Wow. Um, it, you know, it has got some very good assets. A lot of it, the value that's been created by Beach over the last 10 years or so have really been by acquiring and selling down assets. They had a very well-timed purchase and sale of their coal seam gas assets a number of years ago, which generated a lot of cash for it. Uh, so it's been you know, very well managed as far as the uh, mergers and acquisitions are concerned. The longer term forecasts as far as the uh, production uh, is quite positive as well. So we're actually forecasting you know, that they should grow um, their their earnings or grow their uh, production uh, well over the next few years. They have had a little bit of a hiccup recently with some production delays at the uh, Waitsia um, offshore plant. But other than that, we think it's, yeah, it's a reasonable business. The fact that the oil price is down at the moment means that you can get into the stock at a reasonable level. And um, yeah, medium and longer term, it, it looks quite good, but it is one of those uh, more risky plays. It's a more risky play than a, a Santos or Woodside uh, at, at current levels. Okay, uh, Daniel, what do you think of Beach on that on that five year chart? It's really traded in a range, has it? 
It, it has, Koshi, and we've been involved in that range for quite some time. We've had it as a star stock, and you know, it, it probably was a bit of a null factor for us. It didn't really do too much. It's the the thing with Beach is that, yeah, once Seven Group came in, I think they, you know, historically had some assets in the US, um, and they divested that. They really put a focus on you know the core kind of energy generating business and um, have invested heavily in that. But th- there's always been this factor of that, you know, in a relative valuation, it does look cheap to some of its peers. That if it can meet those growth targets in production like we're talking about you know probably 50 percent plus production upside from its new developments then the stock will look really cheap but unfortunately it's always had execution issues um it's had production issues with its existing assets uh, and the what's here development has been impacted you know multiple times now by regulatory issues by the contractor going bust um by general delays due to COVID, etc so it's just had these constant execution issues which have just plagued the stock i think that's why despite having you know an awesome energy cycle the stock really hasn't done much at all so from our point of view there's there's probably lower risk you know probably upside plays in the space uh, i just don't think even though we can see the upside with beach i'm just not sure when it's going to be realize so i'd actually be happy to sell this and, and buy karoon i think karoon based on the the new acquisition in the us is, is a little bit misunderstood a little bit undervalued um and that acquisition and and that you know exposure to a much better place geographical asset which with a with a better life etc should actually place a much lower cost of equity than perhaps what the market is ascribing to it so i'd actually be happy to rotate out of this trade uh, and look to get into karoon mm. at these prices okay Another favourite of Nathan's, Karun. He's been riding, <laughs> riding that that for months. But energy stocks, Daniel, um, just a bit lacklustre. That oil price at the moment, the ripple effect, OPEC supply cuts having no impact. It's it's washing through the entire market at the moment. Good for inflation. Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> and, I, and I would say, Koshi, a lot of people are probably sceptical on, on global demand and global growth. So if you're sceptical on growth, yeah. you know, you're sceptical on commodities and the most actively traded one and the one with the most speculation is oil, firstly. And secondly, you know, if you talk about two, three years ago, the whole kind of bull thesis for energy markets was that, you know, there wasn't really much investment in supply and that, you know, people weren't happy to finance these projects. Well, you know, the the windfall profitability that a lot of these companies have had have actually resulted in new projects being greenlit and a lot of suppliers coming online. So uh, I think think the investment in CapEx has probably been a lot greater um, Uh, than what people would have expected a few years ago. And maybe that's playing a part in oil price speculation right. as well okay but i was on the show with uh with sean cartwright last week and, and he said he thought oil was going to a to 160 so if if you're that bullish on oil then you can't be <laughs> bullish on equity markets that that would be the that's the complete antithesis of a trade so yeah, yes you, you got to make up one side or the other if you're bullish oil you know just be careful of what that means for the rest of your equity yep. portfolio and really think about it yeah I was on that show as well. I think we both fell over when Sean came out with that <laughs> prediction. I actually wrote it down to haunt him in the future or, or highlight his star. So we'll see how that goes. All yeah. right, uh, David, our, our next stock, uh, Liam wants a view on Patriot Battery uh, Metals uh, Exploration Company uh, on battery base and precious metals around their assets, mainly in Canada. How does Patriot yep. rate? Yeah, it's a very interesting business. Uh, as you mentioned, their their operations are in Canada and, and really it is a Canadian company. So the shares that are listed here are, um, are CDIs. So you're actually, it's dual listed. You've got the, the main company listed in the Toronto Stock Exchange and then uh, the, the um, CDIs listed here in Australia. So you are getting into a, a global business. It's very interesting from a, a a potential perspective uh you know, lithium business they've got over twenty-one thousand hectares now twenty-one thousand hectares is about the size of adelaide or buffalo new york uh and that's in in their main corvette property in uh, canada so they've got an enormous amount of space uh, and so far they've released a few drilling results and so far the drilling results look quite positive that they've got some uh, lithium pegmatite and um, yeah looking fairly positive they're quite a large business so it's got a market cap of 485 million 
Now, given that it is uh, an explorer and has the potential to, first of all, find lithium, but then secondly, to, to produce it, you need to be aware of what potential capital raisings there will be. At the moment, they've got about $133 million of cash. So that's a positive that you know, they've, they've got a reasonable balance sheet and able to, to look at that drilling. Um, but going forward, if you are a long-term holder in the business, you'll need to be aware of the potential that they need to look at, at capital raising to keep their drilling and, and future production going. But uh, we've seen not only with Patriot, but most of the other lithium companies over the last few months, their share prices come down quite a bit. Uh, this is one that gives you exposure to you know, one of the one of the largest um, lithium potential uh, areas in in Northern America, uh, and also one of the top ten largest in the world. So it's you know it, it's got a lot of potential, but it is highly speculative because they are only at that first drilling phase at the moment. Okay, so how do you see it? Oh, look, I'd probably, again, have a, a speculative buy on it. Uh, again, it's not one that, that odds cover, um, but given the, the sheer size of their potential and the fact that their early drilling results have been pretty positive, uh, okay. you could see it as a speculative buy, but it's one of those ones that you need to watch very closely and potentially you know, trade in and out of depending upon their drilling results. Okay. Daniel, what do you think? They're, David's talking about big areas, aren't they, that they've got under exploration? And, and Canada um, is, is a bit like Australia. It's a bit of a lithium hotspot, isn't it, in that region? Uh, it certainly is, Koshin. And uh, this is as an exploration project. This has probably been one of the most um, hotly discussed lithium targets in the world. It's it's a huge target here at Corvette. And the thing I hate about CDIs is that the market cap data is is never right. So I actually ah. think it's closer to like a one and a half billion dollar company. Um, big big resource. They've they've done an initial MRE, so an initial maiden resource estimate, and it was about a hundred million tons of lithium at, at pretty high grade. So. Look, this is a big project. They haven't even explored um, kind of the, 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 they have multiple different um, outcropping pegmatites. The one that they talk about, CV5, is the one where they've done the maiden resource estimate. And the, the big drawback to this um, is that, you know, that they've had a few issues with the native native people and land access and the fact that there's um there's there's rivers uh and lakes located on their on their tenement in fact i believe even part of their resource estimate um is actually considered kind of impacted by the lakes now that now in canada it's a very different um kind of jurisdiction to australia and, and different geology right i mean we, we don't have the issues of lakes in the pilbara but um you know that they go to say that that's actually a pretty common thing in the area in james bay so you know i, I would be a little bit more skeptical on that on the land access and the rights and everything to do there um you know that, that's something you'd be a little bit more cautious on um but albemarle invested you know i think over 100 million dollars so that's where they got all that cash from it was an investment from albemarle so clearly they see a lot of value uh in this tenement it's something that they want to get interested in so it's it's definitely a hotly debated uh, exploration company. Um, you know, it's it's very early stage. Like it's probably going to be another ten years before this thing's in production. And Canada is a great jurisdiction for mining, but it's very bureaucratic. So the entire process for for you know permitting and construction and approvals and everything it just takes so long. So I would actually have a preference for a company that's in production right now. Um, we've seen some recent support for the lithium miners, perhaps more so short covering than anything. So, um, you know, do I think that's a bottom? Probably not. Uh, I think there might be a bit more weakness ahead. So, you know, I'd much rather be in a producer and just be watching the story here right. um, at this point because there's just so much water that needs to go under the bridge for sure. Corvette at this point. So what, what's your preferred producer? Yeah, I've really been liking Pilbara below three dollars fifty per share. I think we even, you know, I was kind of saying uh, to our team, you know, it's probably a time we, we should look to top up some in our funds as well, managed funds. So uh, I think we've had a, a luckily uh, well well timed trade there. Uh, but certainly, if it gets back to those levels, you know, I think that's probably the the one A on my list and and a stock which we don't cover at the moment, which. Uh, I think is certainly there is mineral resources as well. Right, uh, and you you get the um, uh, the iron ore play as part of it. If you want to sort of hedge your bets on lithium and iron ore, minerals is the the way to go, is it? With particularly with their focus on processing. Yeah, exactly. That that services business in in particular, Koshi, I think is yeah. very undervalued. 
Okay. All right. Let's uh, fit stock. Um, David, Phil wants a view on Cobram Estate Olives. The uh, Most people would have a bottom of uh, Cobram Estate olive oil in their cupboard. This is how That's you right. can invest yep. in it. Egg stock, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's uh, Cobram Estate um, and also Red Island is the other brand that they have in Australia. And that accounts for about 35% of the sales of olive oil in, in the country. Um, but the interesting thing about Cobram is that they've also uh, diversified internationally. So they've got some uh, operations in the US and the US have been doing very well for it. Their Australian um, groves are still, they've got about 40% of their groves that are still yet to meet reach maturity. So that means that they've got some future earnings tailwinds. So our analyst has got some pretty positive forecasts for, uh, for Cobram over the next couple of years and thinks that their, their earnings will grow very substantially. So we've got a buy recommendation on it. Uh, target price of $1.61. Um, so we've, we've actually seen the share price pick up pretty strongly over the last couple of months. Um, but we still see that there, there is further upside in the price where it, where it is. And as I said, the earnings forecasts over the next couple of years are, are fairly positive. Okay. Uh, Daniel? Yeah, I actually remember we, we spoke about this one a couple months ago, David, on the show. And yeah, we did. Um, I, rem I remember commenting that, you know, it's when it listed, uh, I, I remember looking at the IPO and thinking, you know, there's no way the market's going to understand the kind of the, the growth cycle of this business because it literally has multi-year kind of growing and harvest cycles, which means, um, you know, you can go through periods where there's significant drawdown of debt. Uh, you're basically funding this long-winded growth period to, to harvest, um, you know, your trees and everything and produce oil. So you're going to have years where, you know, financials look horrible and years where things look look really good. And we're heading into one of those periods now. And I commented at the time, you know, that, that you know, this is the type of business which it looks like it's all too hard. But I could certainly see a case where the stock price starts to recover from here, um, given that it's starting to head into its its strides uh, from a harvesting and from a sale point of view. Um, and to be fair, we've had an AGM update, which kind of uh, emphasised that and management seemed really positive. Um, you know, th there is good side in, insider ownership here. They own a lot of the freehold land, which was a question I actually had last time. Like, you know, if, if, they, all, if they own a lot of the land and, and a lot of the trees that they have, there could be a case, you know, for, for an underlying kind of valuation play here. Um, and actually, the, the CFO reached out to me after the show and, and contacted me answering the question. So, you know, mm. hopefully he's listening today. But I, I actually think there is a justification for a spec buy now. It's not something we're probably going to own or, or, or look to cover at Stock Doctor, but, um, you know, because we typically don't invest in these types of businesses. But I can certainly see, you know, that trade coming in through here. You know, the harvest season comes in. The US, they're starting to ramp up significantly, which they've invested a lot of money in. Um, and, and the AGM update basically said that they're starting to see kind of sales and conditions ahead of what was originally forecast so mm. uh, short term i actually think there's a bit of a trade emerging in this stock um but longer term you know it's it's probably a bit too hard for us it's, right. it's a it's a very difficult business okay you've got to pick your timing and follow it carefully absolutely yeah. for these stocks you do not a set and forget all right let's uh recap the first five stocks stock of the day sigma after this morning it had announced some of the structure the acquisition of uh, uh chemist warehouse or merger in um but david and daniel said if you're an existing shareholder um yes hold hold keep holding the stock take up your rights um in the deal new money um David Lane says, yes, um, um, depending on the price, when it relists on Wednesday, it could look attractive. Uh, Daniel's saying, wait until it settles down before taking a view on whether to put new money or, uh, in or not if you're not an existing shareholder. Uh, Gentrack, uh, take some profits from David, uh, a hold or tending towards take profits from Daniel as well. Uh, Silk Logistics, a uh, speculative buy from both of them. Uh, Beach, Ords and David have an accumulate on it. Um, Daniel, though, would sell Beach 
and trade switch into uh, Karoon, into the energy sector there. Patra Batteries, a speculative buy from David, uh, a no from Daniel, prefers existing lithium producers rather than explorers, um, and uh, Pilbara is his uh, preferred, um, he uh, topped up Lincoln Indicators, uh, topped up their funds, uh, with Pilbara uh, under three dollars fifty, it's three seventy one at the moment. Uh, and Cobra Estate, a speculative buy or uh, a buy from both of them. And um, here on the call, we've been following our own high conviction fantasy fund, as picked by the investment committee. Uh, the latest episode of the committee meeting, the December committee meeting, is on osbiz.com at the moment. Let's check what happened at that meeting. Had uh, some new buys and sells. ResMed uh, Car Group, which is the old car sales, and Johns Ling were among those that were put in to the portfolio, replacing Wes Farmers, taking some profits there, RPM Global and MA Financial. All three of those were sold, and the fund is up um, about 12.5% at the moment. All right, this half hour, we're going to be taking a look at supply networks, Sky City Entertainment. Fisher and Paykel at James Hardy Industries and Tyro Payments. Um, David Mia wants a view on Supply Network, which is the uh, an aftermarket parts provider for uh, commercial vehicle industry, trucks and uh, and utes and the like. Yeah, we uh, we quite like the stock, and we've recently upgraded our recommend well our, our forecasts on the stock. So they had their AGM a couple of weeks ago, and our analyst uh, not only increased their forecast for earnings, so uh, for 2024 increased by three percent, and then 2025 by six percent, but we've also increased our target price. So previously our target price was 1580, which is um, similar sort of price to where they're trading, but uh, increased the target price to $17. So mm. quite positive on the stock. Uh, the the commentary from management was positive at the AGM. Uh, and it's a business that has been growing fairly well as far as sales are concerned. They're forecasting that sales will increase by about um, 14% next year. In the, in the first half, they've increased by 22%. Uh, so fairly strong demand for, the, for their products. Uh, and what we're finding is that the commercial vehicles, firstly, they're aging. Uh, secondly, there's a lot more demand for transport and logistics. You know, we're buying a lot more online and that needs to be delivered. And then thirdly, vehicles are becoming more complex. So they're needing a lot more parts uh, and yeah, supply networks is, is in the space to provide that service to them. Okay, so you have it as a buy at the moment? Yes, I yeah, we've so. got a buy recommendation on it, yep. Daniel, this looks like a boring vanilla business, but you look at that five-year chart, it just has never disappointed, has it? It is like a lot of companies would kill for that price action. Absolutely. And Amazing. a lot of that comes to the fact of the size, Koshi. Like five years ago, this company would have been very well and truly a micro cap. And I think around 50% formerly was owned by a board and management and the founders. So, you know, you literally couldn't trade this thing. And if you look at the price action, you'll see those kind of momentary like blocks or sideways, which, you know, kind of shows that the stock hasn't really been trading. It's only until probably the last two or three years where this is very much um, gone on the radars of, of some small cap fundies and and brokers and the such, uh, and for good reason. So they've grown EPS really hard the last few years, um, and this is one of the companies where because they have that high inside ownership, like you know they, they really aren't in the market for capital raisings and promotional activity. Like you never hear from the IR of this team. Um, the presentations have no fluff in it whatsoever, which. From an analyst's point of view, is very refreshing. You know, they're just as straightforward as you can be, non-promotional, uh, and just focus on the business really. So, um, they have had a few really strong tailwinds. Obviously, like you said, the shift to um, online delivery through COVID and and the restriction of access of delivery for new large-scale vehicles is actually positive for them because obviously the fleets are getting older. You know, they require more parts, and that just speeds up the demand and, and volume in the space. Multispares, um, which is their, their trading name, is the largest provider in the space, has the largest footprint, 
Um, and, and, you know, from, from our kind of research and discussion with some customers kind of has the, the fastest speed to market. So, you know, if you need a, if you need a, a replacement part quickly and you need to deliver it, um, you know, within a couple of days, like you're going to go to multi-spares and they have a huge range as well. So you, you rarely see a company, which is a, you know, a boring old distributor have 10% plus net profit margins, you know, 40% ROE plus, you know, this is a business which the metrics look incredible and it's really been bootstrapped by reinvestment in the business over the long term. So the market's working up to that now. It is a little bit expensive. It trades on around 20 times forward earnings um, with a nice little dividend yield as well, about four and a half percent grossed up. So yeah, we're, we're probably happy to give it a hold rating. Right. Um, but, you know, keep an eye on it because I have noticed that, you know, as the liquidity's improved, um, obviously the brokers have been contacting the founders and, and looking to to engage in those block stakes. So there's probably a, a, a broader kind of liquidity access in this market. Will that mean that there might be some selling uh, and potential opportunity here? Uh, I think that might be the case, especially if you start to see growth slow down from that 20, 30 percent to maybe low single digit teens, which they're, they're kind of guiding for here. So um, definitely a hold quality business. Uh, if it dips more, I'd probably be looking at it as an opportunity. OK. All right. Our next stock, Daniel and uh, Jack wants a view on Sky City Entertainment, the New Zealand based casino operator, but also owns the Adelaide Casino as well and an iGaming business, which is uh, uh, based in Malta. Um, Daniel, I've got to ask a question. Who on earth would want to invest in a casino at the moment? You know, you look at, <laughs> you look at Star Entertainment, you look at Sky City. I, I thought the house always won, but certainly investors <laughs> in these stocks haven't over recent times, have they? No, and the unfortunate thing is that you know, the, the whole way, Koshi, the whole way through, there's been valuation appeal and the stocks have looked cheap. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, they just continue to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And, you know, I know for a fact there would have been a lot of retail investors that have gotten stuck in these stocks because, you know, the, the idea and the appeal was there. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think anyone really anticipated this level of scrutiny um, from governments on our on our casino providers like you know they're considered kind of the golden goose that produce so much in terms of employment and tax revenue but the 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 outback and the and the backlash has been very very harsh so unfortunately yeah shareholders have had a really tough time um post that kind of COVID recovery you know a lot of them carry significant amount of debt because they they have huge property portfolios and a lot of the appeal of these businesses is kind of developing the real estate adding things like hotel rooms etc um which have kind of coincided with so many unfortunate events building building cost crisis labor shortages um you know issues with builders and contractors going bust we've seen the queen's wealth development i think they're actually getting sued now by um with star entertainment by their builders so there's just so many issues now on the one hand you know a contrarian could say that would mean that you know everyone's mm. everyone's negative the stock they'll have their day in the sun um but that's not really our, our type of investing at stock doctor so from our point of view it's it's just too tough i mean you know the maturity profile for Sky City, and I've never really had a great look, and perhaps that's been fortuitous for me that I've never, never had a great look. But <laughs> the maturity profile does look pretty steep in the next few years. So, you know, uh, their their gearing isn't as high as some of the peers, but you know, there's certainly a debt issue here as well. So, okay. yeah, I mean, if you're on the sidelines, you know, I'd very much be staying on the sidelines. If you're in the stock, um, you know, it's a very tough call to make. I think at these levels. You know, you might be willing to hold because at least we're starting to see a bit of profitability come through. Um, okay. And that, that interest rate story, you know, if, if we do have some rate cuts, that should alleviate a lot of debt pressures on their businesses, but certainly not looking to buy at these levels, just way too okay. hard. David, what do you reckon? Warren Buffett always avoided turnaround stocks because not many actually turn around. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, are casinos a turnaround stock? Is this... Um, you know, the house has got to win sometime. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a conundrum, I've got to admit, that uh, they are a high cash generating business. And Sky, um, you know, from a fundamental point of view, looks attractive. They're trading on a PE of, of 10 times, potentially a single digit PE next year. Uh, their dividend yield 7.1%. So from a fundamental point of view, it, it looks appealing. Um, our analyst has got a, a buy recommendation on it uh, and thinks that the fair value is $3.20. Uh, 
Um, but personally, I would steer clear of it. Um, it's, as you said, it's an industry that's fraught with danger. It's got so many regulatory uh, eyes on it. Uh, at the moment, um, Sky City is in discussions with the uh, New Zealand in yep. Internal Affairs Department, uh, and there's likelihood that their um, their license will be suspended for ten days uh, next year. They do have the sole rights in Auckland, Hamilton, Queenstown, and Adelaide. So from that point of view, you know there is some competitive advantage. But look, I think that there are much better investments around the market. Uh, and personally, I don't really in, enjoy um, investing in gambling stocks, so I'd be steering clear yeah, of it. The ESG filter there, which um, which we leave it up to you to apply. That's the philosophy we here yeah. have on the call. We just look at the investment side, you impose your own ESG. I'm, I did have a, <laughs> have a mate, which I've got on my watch list just so I can rib him all the time, uh, got him to star at uh, $1.10. Yeah. He thought that was fantastic. Yep. When it did the raise at $1.20, I think a couple of months ago, and dropped to $1.10, yep. he said, ah, it's a bargain. And what is it, mid-50s at the moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, Star is one of those ones that, uh, you know, when you look at the, the the value of the land and the value of the yes. buildings, um, you know, the, their operation that they're building here is going to be transformational for Brisbane as far as the Queen's Wharf is concerned. So, you know, it will attract a lot of attention. Uh, it not only will get a lot of people gambling, but also attending their restaurants and nightclubs, Etc. So there is a lot of long-term value in the in the business, uh, and yeah, if, if I was going to have an investment, probably Star would be the one that I'd right. look at. Um, but again, I think that there's yeah, a lot a lot Just of better out investments out there. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Daniel is uh, Fisher and Paykel a better investment? Lockon wants to know the one of the world's big manufacturers of respiratory devices um, in hospitals also does what uh, has sleep apnea machines, the same as ResMed does, uh, manufactures in where, New Zealand and Mexico? Yeah, no, we'd be much bigger fans of Fisher and Paykel <laughs> than the casino space. Um, <laughs> the, the, they, they've actually finally returned to a bit of growth. So the, the difficulty with Fisher and Paykel was that I think some analysts suggested they had like five years of demand pull forward from COVID. Yeah. So, you know, the, the sales period after that just looks so difficult because obviously, you know, you look at the hospital market, they were fully supplied, you know, they, they didn't need to order uh, further further capital equipment and ventilators and things like that. Now we're starting to see that flow through after almost two years um, and return to growth and particularly the home care market or, or like you mentioned, the OSA, the, the sleep apnea market actually had a really good first half result for them um, at, their, at their recent interim period. So looks to be like some positive underlying fundamentals here, but the one thing, and, and this is similar with ResMed too, the one thing which is plaguing this business is as more than anything, more than Ozempic, more than anything is the gross margin. So, um, you know, Fish and Pico, I think they probably had close to a 70% gross margin pre-COVID, something like 68, wow. 67. Now that's probably hovering around 60. That's a big margin impairment. <laughs> Uh, and it looks to be based on commentary, like it looks to be almost settled in now. Um, and, and you know, that that's going to be a, a big dispersion in value for the company, you know, trying to analyze it and value it. If your previous assumption was a 68% gross margin, now it's a 60%, like that. that's a huge leverage factor to the bottom line. So, you know, we, we've owned this company on and off for a long time. I, I think the earliest that Stock Doctor covered Fish and Paykel was in like the early 2000s. So, you know, it's a company we love. It's a company we've, we, we're familiar with. Um, but at this point in time, at around 50, 55 times forward earnings, um, with some of those challenges in the gross margin, you know, I think you'd actually probably prefer to be in ResMed. And, and we're, we're owning ResMed and we have it as a star growth stock at the moment. So this is another similar trade. Um, you know, I'd probably be looking to sell Fisher and Paykel uh, and buy ResMed at these prices okay. because they're actually facing very similar underlying fundamental issues um, and similar growth rates. But the stock, you know, obviously has a much larger market share and uh, in the OSA market, at least, and, um, and and is trading at a more digestible valuation. So uh, okay. I think we'd have more confidence to outperform the market in that stock. Okay, so switch out into uh, into Resmed. David, what do you think? 
Yeah, fairly similar views to Daniel, and I think that you know he makes a very good point as far as that margin expansion is concerned. That they they have over the last decade been able to expand their margins, but we think that the the time has come when you know that will start to contract, as as Daniel said. So, uh, from that point of view, we think it's it's probably fairly fully valued at current levels. Uh, currently trading at twenty two twenty, um, we think it's got a fair value of twenty one dollars. So, got a whole recommendation on it. Um, but do agree with Daniel that would prefer to be buying uh, ResMed, and I think with the share price. Uh, decline that we've seen in ResMed, we think that they're um, very attractive at current levels. So I'd be preferring ResMed out of the two. Okay, so you're not caught up in the Zempic, the weight loss hysteria that everyone's going to get skinny and not need sleep apnea machines again? No, no. I uh, think that uh, that's probably a little bit overdone. Uh, when you look at, the, at ResMed's uh, statistics, about 70% yeah. of their, their market are, um, you know, uh, clinically obese uh, so you know a Zempic isn't going to fix that in the short term no. um, and yeah we think that you know it's been oversold uh, and a good opportunity to, yep. to buy in. Ben Clark told he reckoned a Zempic hysteria uh, Ben Clark from TMS was reading a report by um, JP Morgan out of the US to buy Delta Airlines stock because Americans would be lighter and their luggage would be lighter because their clothes wouldn't weigh as much because they would have dropped eight sizes. Um, just ridiculous. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, Daniel Mark wants to view on James Hardy Industries. Let's get something uh, back to something a bit more blue collar. Of course, the big building materials supplier, uh, one of the uh, biggest producers of fibre cement building products, the old the old gypsum plasterboard. Yeah, it's it's. This is another company which had a remarkable turnaround this year, hasn't it, Koshi? Yep. Um, and and who would have thought, given the the significant increase in the U.S. cash rate and some of the really concerning data we've seen in housing starts and etc. in the U.S., that a company like James Hardy would be kind of approaching that fifty buck mark, almost kind of pushing towards all time highs again. So that just goes to show how difficult being in the markets is because against all conventional wisdom, uh, stock like this has outperformed and, and you know, we've missed the boat on this one. Um, we're probably a little bit too concerned around, you know, the, the short term housing cycle in the US uh, and missed the kind of underlying factor that James Hardy has been pushing through significant price increases since COVID. Um, you know, the, the price increases to the tune of like 30, 40% in aggregate mm. or in total, right? Maybe even more than that. And now that price increase coinciding with some of the inflationary cost pressures coming down meant that margins have stayed, you know, a lot more stable than perhaps what people would have thought, even though we have seen some signs of volume weakness as well. So, you know, it's always the case, isn't it? And people say, you know, markets are supposed to be efficient, but it's always the case where, you know, you get to that bottom of the cycle, that capitulation, consensus analysts, are revising down their targets uh, and sometimes they just miss the underlying kind of quality of the business in this circumstance. So, you know, for, for those that have managed to stay in the story, they've done extremely well. Um, at their recent quarterly update, you know, they provided guidance for third quarter, which is 20% above consensus. So, okay. you know, clearly they're, they're doing a lot of really good things in the margin story. That Interestingly, they've actually cancelled some of their expansionary programs, particularly in Australia, um, which, you know, goes to show that there is some, some, some potential volume weakness in the global market. But, you know, overall, people are really looking through that with James Hardy and people obviously understand locally in Australia, the housing shortages we have in the US pretty much since the GFC, they've had an underinvestment in housing. So there is genuine long term tailwinds here for a company like James Hardy. You know, I, I probably couldn't fess up to buy here at these prices. That's, you know, that's probably realistically due to anchoring <laughs> than any other reason, because everyone was so cautious on this stock at 25 bucks. Yeah, no one wants to be buying at 50, but you know, I'd definitely be holding it here. Perhaps taking a bit of profit, maybe if it's grown to a large weight in the portfolio, take a bit of profit because you know it, it is a quality company, but it is cyclical at the end of the day. So, yeah. you know, very much a hold here, um, and, and just a, I think a missed opportunity for certain investors. Um, David. Yeah, I think Daniel uh, summed it up very well. We've got a whole recommendation on it as well. Um, the thing about James Hardy is that their brand has been, uh, is a very strong brand. They've been able to, to 
uh, increase their market share in a fairly um, low growth market, if you like. Uh, the thing about the US is that new home sales haven't really grown uh, because people are locked into their mortgages. So they have mm. long-term 30-year mortgages there at the previous rate. So people aren't wanting to sell their houses because if they change over, they've then got to go into yeah. a, a new mortgage at a new rate. So new home sales have been a little bit lacklustre, but what it's meaning is people are staying home and they're they're putting money into renovating their place. So the demand for, um, for Hardy Board and, and uh, their products has still been quite strong. Uh, current levels, I think it's it's fairly fully priced, so hold recommendation on okay. it at the current price. All right, and our final stock, David, uh, Jaden wants a view on Tyro Payments, the uh, basically the the EPOS machines for a whole bunch of small businesses. Yes, yeah, it's a look. It's a really good business. Uh, it's one of those stocks that uh, the share price has been under a lot of pressure for a long period of time. There has been some attempts of, of takeover. Westpac was interested in in buying this, the company, uh, but that didn't eventuate. Uh, we think that there's a lot of value in the business. So they're currently trading just above a dollar. Uh, we think that the, the fair value is two dollars. Uh, so a lot of potential upside to, to it. Um, Tyro does have a very good market share as far as their merchants are concerned and the, I guess one of the drivers to their long-term growth is the fact that they get that data. So they've got daily data of, of what's happening from a transactional point of view. Um, they've been looking at moving into banking and, and providing additional uh, lending services to their merchants because they've got that real-time data. So you know, it is a good business. Um, again. You know, has the potential of being a takeover target at some point in time for a larger player in the industry. Uh, but aside from that, we still think it's a business that uh, yeah, that, that has good long-term growth potential. Okay, uh, a buy from you worth double what it is at the moment. Um, Daniel, Hopefully. It, <laughs> Daniel, because it's it's focused on EPOS machines for small business, has it? Where, whereas the big banks have ignored that market for so long thinking, oh, you know, why would we want to get into the hardware business? It's just not worth it for us and basically left the market to Tyro. Yeah, you're right, Koshi. And I think that was the story that Tyro was really pushing when they listed. Um, but we've actually seen a bit of reversion in that. Like we've actually seen particularly Combank um, compete pretty heavily in recent years. And not only Combank, but obviously we've had so many juniors in the space and a company like Square. And then every it's almost like every mm. week you've got a new cheap-based terminal provider coming into the market. So I think this is a heavily competitive market and it's actually quite confusing um, across the whole chain of payment solutions and merchant acquiring bank and the different solutions that they offer. Like it's when I've spoken to spoken to management teams in the space and an analyst like I find it very difficult to follow um, and I think a lot of people probably don't understand the business models um, as well as as probably they should be but I can certainly see the case uh, for the stock being cheap at the moment and if you look at the investment uh, the recent investor day like the the cost savings that they've recently enacted and the margin uplift going forward if they hit those margin targets then yes i probably would say that the the, the business is cheap and it might be worth double what it is today uh, but my concern is that competition that churn factor um, and whether or not they'll be able to hit those margin targets. We've seen some increased kind of regulatory scrutiny in the space as well about how much people are adding on um, for surcharge fees and et cetera. So uh, I think it's just very competitive. You know, we, we've kind of avoided Tyro the whole way, especially when it reached out into the lending solutions area as well. Like we, we've seen that happen with other businesses like Zero with Waddle and it just hasn't really worked out. So it makes sense but I'm just not sure if it works economically. Like we, we need to have more confidence over the economic model. So, you know, it doesn't really pass our metrics, doesn't right. pass our financial health filters. So I'd probably be happy just to sit on the sidelines. If you're in the stock, like again, if you're in the stock at this point, like you, you've already been battered over the head. So you're probably waiting to see if that margin story, you know, plays to effect. But if you're not in it, I think, you know, from our view, we'd be happy to stay on the sidelines. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, the final five stock supply network, a buy from David Lane and Ords a hold from Daniel. Uh, Sky City, uh, and really a, a no from both. If you if you run it all the way down, Daniel's saying you, you 
probably hoping for a bit of a turnaround, obviously. Uh, Fisher and Paykel, a hold from uh, from David, a sell from Daniel. He'd switch out of Fisher and Paykel into ResMed, uh, and David can see the sense in that as well. Uh, James Hardy, a hold from David. Uh, hold from... Uh, Daniel as well I would probably look to take some profits if it's outgrown uh, the proportion of the portfolio because it's had a really good run up. Uh, take some profits if if the weighting has got a bit out of kilter. And Tyro Payments, um, a buy from David and Ords, a no from Daniel. David Lane from Ords, always great to have you on the call. Really appreciate your time. Likewise, Daniel Ortiz from that? Lincoln Indicators and Stock Doctor. Thank you, gents. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, David. Uh, If you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to uh, osbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us using at TV handle on X. And uh, to get put any questions in or comments about the stocks, we love that as well. Stick around. You've got me for The Pulse next. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.